This is the Gomaluku podcast. To start, I want to introduce our first um, speaker, Mr. Kenneth Deer. Kenneth has been involved in the international indigenous movement since uh, 1987. He is first he first attempted the United Nations Working Group of Indigenous Population. He was involved in the development of the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples until it was passed in 2007. He has attended the work, all the working groups on indigenous populations, working groups on the draft of the Declaration, the Permanent Forum, the Expert Mechanism since 1987. Uh, he has also attended many, many um, uh, UN World Conferences and also has coordinated and chaired the Indigenous Caucasus in Geneva and in New York. Uh, he's currently the North American member of the Indigenous Coordinating Body and will explain why the enhanced participation process is very important to us Indigenous peoples and why it is almost 100 years, uh, almost 100 years process. Starting with the Descahe, traveling to the Geneva to Geneva for the League of Nations. So I have the pleasure to give Mr. Kenneth the floor now. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair, for allowing me to have the floor. Um, I'm, uh, <clears throat> my internet is down here in, in my community because we had a big rainstorm last night. So I'm, I'm using my data and I'm using my iPhone. So um, I'm, I feel a little handicapped right now. So. Um, First of all, uh, uh, good morning, everybody. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning here where I am. And um, um, I wanna welcome you uh, all to, to this, to this um, uh, process. We, um, uh, um, after that wonderful uh, introduction, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, the issue of enhanced participation has been, uh, you know, been the goal of, uh, of indigenous people since we started coming to the United Nations. And uh, as you know, that uh, uh, in the United Nations, in order to, um, to um, address the United Nations, you have to either be a member state or you have to be uh, a non-governmental organization or, or an NGO. And indigenous peoples, we're not non-governments. We are, we are governments in our own right, you know, with our own um, you know, uh, leadership, our own uh, constitutions, our own laws, our, our, our ability to enforce our own laws. The, um, we have land, we have territory, we have um, our own uh, civil society, you know. And um, so we, um, uh, uh, we are governments in, in, our, in our own right. And, um, and we have resisted, many of us have resisted uh, registering in the United Nations as NGOs. And uh, because we feel that's an insult to our, uh, uh, to our people and to our heritage. So, um, uh, what we're, um, uh, in our case, for, say the Haudenosaunee, uh, we, it's been 99 years that we've been uh, uh, trying to address uh, uh, the international community. In, um, in 1923, we sent a, a chief, uh, a, a Cayuga chief, uh, uh, whose title was Discahe. Um, his, his, his name was uh, Levi General. And he was uh, one of the, um, the chiefs of the 50 chiefs of the Haudenosaunee. We, in the Haudenosaunee, we are uh, uh, six nations actually, uh, made up of the Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora nations. And, um, uh, and there are 
uh, I think there are 10 Cayuga chiefs and all titles, titles that are handed down to us from time immemorial, so way before European contact. And it's the women in our, in our, in our people that, uh, that hold the titles and, uh, and they pass, and they are the ones that, that nominate the chiefs uh, uh, in, to, to hold those, uh, those, those positions. So the, the title of Tuskahe has been handed down from generation to generation to generation by the women of the, uh, of the, uh, the Cuban nation. And, um, and uh, so the, this, the title of Tuskahe in 1923 was held by a man named Levi General. And um, the Haudenosaunee was having difficulties with Canada. Of course, we had difficulties with the United States as well. But in this land that Canada has sold out from under us, and uh, we were demanding an accountant at Shoney. And uh, as um, and we weren't getting any satisfaction from the government of Canada. So um, uh, the Haudenosaunee decided that we, as a sovereign people, uh, we, had, we had every right to go to the League of Nations to um, to talk to the League of Nations, let them know the, the situation that we were facing in Canada. So Descaje, uh went to the to, went to Geneva. He uh, he made his own uh, well he, he made a passport in order to uh, he first went to the he went to, to England first to see the king um, and but the king refused to see him. So he came back home in 1921. Then he went to the League of Nations in 1923. And when he arrived in the League of Nations, um, uh, he, he wanted to address the League. And, um, and he was supported by, uh, uh, by many people. He was very popular in, in Geneva. They had a real red Indian and, um, <laughs> among them. And, uh, and uh, a lot of the aristocrats in, in, in Geneva supported him. The mayor of Geneva and... and uh, so academics, you know, and some important people, and also some states, for instance, Japan uh, and the Netherlands, who we have a treaty with, uh, supported him, as well as Persia, uh, which is Iran today, uh, uh, and Estonia, apparently. And um, however, Canada was uh, very, very upset that uh, Descahe uh, was, was in Geneva, and they were. Um, uh, you know, uh, upset that, that a savage would be would be there to trying to address the league, and Canada wasn't a very big player in the League of Nations. Uh, so they asked Great Britain to intervene, and Great Britain convinced the league to to not to allow this guy to speak of the league. So they stopped him from speaking, and um, uh, which was uh, um, disingenuous because many people addressed. The League of Nations that were not members. Um, so Descaje um, uh, said, "Well, okay, I'm not a member, so therefore I will apply to be membership, to be a member." So he uh, he went through the formal process of applying to be members of the League of Nations for the Haudenosaunee to be uh, uh, members of the League, and um, in, in 1924. And uh, in, uh, however, the true subterfuge, the um, the League of Nations never consider his application, even though the rules are very clear that anybody who applies uh, for um, admission to the league, their application must be brought to the floor for a vote. And uh, because of the influence of Great Britain and, and some others, uh, the secretary of the, of the league never um, uh, brought the, the, um, the application to the floor for a vote. 
I presume for fear that uh, Haudenosaunee might win the vote, I suppose. So anyway, um, he was, uh, 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 he was, uh, his application was never approved. In the meantime, though, uh, in Canada was so upset with the, uh, with this guy being in, in, in Canada, being in the league in Geneva, uh, addressing, trying to address the League of Nations. In, on October 10th of 2000, the government invaded the, uh, the community of Six Nations, the, the, uh, the Six Nations territory, and they, um, they raided the, um, the council house of the chiefs and clan mothers, and they, um, they confiscated all the wampums and, and symbols of authority, the files, and shipped them off to Ottawa, padlocked the council house, and had uh, elections to, uh, to, uh, to have another kind of government in, among the Haudenosaunee. And that was a coup. The Canadian government had a coup to overthrow the Haudenosaunee at, at that time. In the Duskahe uh, left Geneva and he never returned home because he was a fear of being arrested. The, um, uh, the, uh, the government, the agent, the Indian agent wanted Duskahe arrested for, uh, for his activities in Geneva. So he never returned to Canada and he actually uh, went uh, to Rochester, New York, and then to, uh, to the uh, Tuscarora Reserve, just across the border from Canada. You could see Canada from the Tuscarora uh, Reserve in the house of the, of the, Rickard, the Rickard family. And that house is still there. This guy became ill and um, Canada never, uh, in those days, there was called a pass laws where the, um, the, you, you needed the uh, uh, permission of the Eden agent to leave the community. And this guy became very ill in Tuscarora and uh, the Canadian government would not allow uh, the family to go visit uh, this guy when he, when he was ill. And he died uh, very shortly thereafter, I think in April of 2025. And uh, they say he died of a broken heart because of all the, what had happened. And he returned to, uh, and his funeral was, it was in Six Nations. So this guy has been a symbol of the effort of indigenous peoples to, uh, to uh, have a voice at the international level. And um, uh, 1923, next year, 2023, will be 100 years um, since this, this guy went to, went, to, went to the League of Nations. And, and we, we're using that as a, um, as a hallmark, as a, as a goal to, uh, uh, for indigenous peoples to get uh, a status that is, uh, 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 that is equal as possible to states in the, uh, in the, um, in, in the United Nations. Uh, in Geneva at the Human Rights Council, and um, we, uh, as I was the co-chair of the um, uh, work uh, roundtable on enhanced participation last year in, in, in Geneva, and um, and even that was a um, um, an example of enhanced participation because it's the first roundtable that the uh, the Human Rights uh, Council ever had. And all uh, events of the Human Rights Council are always chaired by, a, by the, by the um, president of the Human Rights Council or a state. And this is the first time that a non-state actor was a co-chair of, of an event at, at the Human Rights Council. And it was an example of enhanced participation. And in the, um, in the conclusions, uh, I put in there that, um, uh, that 1924 is the, is the 100th um, anniversary of, that when when Descartes left Geneva and uh, 
I challenge the, the United Nations that, uh, that Chief Descaje uh, should be able to address the, the Human Rights Council as a chief of his people and not as an NGO. And um, so um, that's the challenge that, uh, that we've put to, to, uh, uh, to the Human Rights Council, that we, we have to find a solution uh, uh, to indigenous uh, participation at the Human Rights Council. And then we give them that deadline. And uh, so it's very convenient that we are coming up with this workshop in November, this four-day workshop uh, to discuss uh, all the modalities and the, 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 who could get the status, et cetera. So the timing is very, very, very good uh, for us uh, uh, to fulfill that challenge. In the meantime, from 1924 to the present, there has been other indigenous people that have gone, uh, a gentleman named uh, Ronata from the Maori uh, went to the league and he was also denied speaking. And another guy named uh, Nielsen, Nelson from Samoa also went to the league in 1928, I think. And he was also rebuffed uh, from, from speaking at, at, at the league. And uh, we've been trying when the, um, when the indigenous people came to uh, uh, Geneva in 1977 on the, on the, on the um, very important NGO conference on racial discrimination against the indigenous populations of the Western hemisphere, uh, indigenous peoples there demanded that we have a voice in, 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 the, in the United Nations. And we've been demanding that uh, ever since, uh, making, uh, trying to make, to try to have a voice in, in the United Nations. And uh, that uh, effort, you know, resulted in the Working Group on Indigenous Populations, which was first meeting was in 1982. And that was very unique. Uh, body because it was uh, that body allowed anybody to address the, the, the working group. You didn't have to be a state or an NGO. And that was a, a groundbreaking. Um, uh, um, uh, it, 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 it was the only body in the entire United Nations where, where that, where that was, was allowed. And that existed till 2006. So that was a, a step forward. However, uh, the working group is the lowest level in the United Nations. And you can't get any lower than the working group uh, from the uh, from the subcommission, and uh, so that uh, that uh, status only only applied to the working group and did not apply to the subcommission, uh, commission human rights, and today's human rights council, uh, where we, we the only way to address them is to, is by by having an NGO status. So we have an opportunity now uh, to um, make sure that Descaje. Can, uh, and, and your leadership, the leadership of indigenous people can, can speak at, at the Human Rights Council the, that, that respects that we are governments and, and that we are institutions that, can, that, that have a constituency um, in our own civil societies. So um, uh, I, uh, a small part uh, I, I, want, I left out was that Descaje, the current Descaje, his name is Stephen Jacobs, came to the League of Nations uh, and it came to Human Rights Council in uh, 2019, and he still at that time could not speak, and uh, and he stood up in the room when uh, when he took the floor on the um, uh, on the half day discussion on enhanced participation, and he stood up and it was so visible to everybody in the room that this man cannot speak for his people, and it was an amazing display of. Uh, uh, of, of the apartheid that, that we face in, in, in the United Nations. So um, to us, the symbolism of, of Descaje is, in a, is, in one, is an important uh, aspect of, of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. And I think it, 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 uh, 
symbolizes uh, what indigenous people, the struggle of indigenous people for recognition in, in the UN system. So I'm hoping that all of you here and all of us together around the world can, um, can influence the, uh, the uh, Human Rights Council so that our leadership, our, our, our people are the people that, 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 that we, we're, those that represent our, our peoples um, as, as governments uh, uh, can address the, uh, the, the, the Human Rights Council you know, by 1924. Right. So I'll, I'll end it here at this, this time. And I'll let, uh, I want to thank you for uh, allowing me to speak. Yeah. Um, th thank you very much, Mr. Kenneth, for sharing with us the important history uh, of the enhanced participation process, which uh, did not just start now. And it's good to see that we have uh, many participants who are interested in this process and uh, working together is the only key on how we can achieve our um, enhanced participation within the United Nations. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Kenneth. And now we will, I, before I move to the next speaker, I wanted to remind uh, the participant that uh, if you have questions for Mr. Kenneth, please write them down, even in the chat or just uh, hold on to them. After the three presenters, we will have time for questions and answers uh, for more clarification in case you have doubts. Uh, so now I would like to move to the next um, uh, presenter. Um, his name is uh, Les Malaysia. Les is an Aboriginal activist campaigning for the rights of uh, human rights of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders peoples in Australia and has wide participation in the human rights uh, of Indigenous peoples at the international level. Um, now retired but still active. His career has included senior positions at the ni uh, national levels in Australia, both representing the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders communities and uh, partaking directly in policy and legislati legislative reforms within the national, state, and local government. His long invo involvement at the international level has seen roles in Indigenous people's activities um, the United Nations Commonwealth ahead of government and various international organizations over the past 35 years, pursuing acknowledgement of and respect of the rights of indigenous peoples, including a former advisor to the president of the United Nations General Assembly during the negotiations of the World Conference Outcome Document and co-chair of the Alta Preparatory Meeting. Uh, Mr. Les will focus his presentation on the ALTA conference recommendations, World Conference outcomes, and the resolutions in between. Um, Mr. Les, I would like to give you the, uh, the floor now. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I hope my uh, Zoom program is working okay with video and voice. Um, I very much appreciate that introduction um, and uh, I'm very happy to say hello to everyone participating in this particular um, online meeting. Um, it's in terms of uh, uh, background, I think Kenneth has given a very good introduction as to why we're at the stage we're at and why it's still important to continue to push for 
uh, recognition at the United Nations level, even though we have achieved um, the major target of getting a declaration in place and we have every year resolutions um, for the last two or three decades addressing uh, Indigenous peoples and calling upon states to respect and promote the rights of uh, Indigenous peoples of the world. However, um, the ALTA conference uh, still remains, I believe, for Indigenous peoples, the statement of what we, um, what status we want to have um, in the international community. And when the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples was held, um, what's that, uh, eight years ago now, uh, the resolution that came from that World Conference that was supported by consensus, it didn't have any votes against the resolution, um, essentially appears as an action document for states to promote and protect the rights of Indigenous peoples in conjunction with the Indigenous peoples. Um, but that important resolution, which I think is just as important as the resolution to adopt the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, did um, not include the recommendations that came from the ALTA conference for enhanced participation and for improved uh, support and resources from the United Nations. And I believe now that we see the evidence now in 2022 of why those recommendations that were made were so important because um, I don't believe that the continued processes and structures of the United Nations are living up to the arrangements and the agreements that we had reached when the declaration was adopted 15 years ago. At that time, um, more respect was given to Indigenous peoples and the voice of Indigenous peoples, and more effort was being made to see that equality and justice in the human rights area was being played out. But we, we, we have a lot of frustration still occurring at the international level. Personally, for me, one of my um, very big frustrations has been the fact that um, the uh, structures that are set up both in Geneva and in New York to support in representations, delegations from Indigenous peoples are not as strong and as forthcoming as they should be. And I'm not blaming necessarily the people that are in those structures, but I do believe that we have seen with more recent appointments to the expert mechanism on the rights of Indigenous peoples and on the permanent forum on Indigenous issues, um, strange appointments where um, nominees who've got very good qualifications for those positions are being overlooked for people who basically have no background and no recognition in the international arena. So again, it's not an attack on any individual person, but really, uh, I believe uh, it's evidence that um, it's the people behind the scenes in the United Nations and not the Indigenous peoples themselves that are making important decisions 
and important arrangements uh, in the United Nations. So uh, again, I'll come back just to mention the ELTA conference and the documents that we should hold that higher than the declaration and higher than the uh, World Conference outcome document in terms of what Indigenous peoples of the world are wanting to say and achieve at the international level. And that includes the references that Kenneth made about enhanced participation in the General Assembly, the ability to be uh, recognised as peoples holding the right to self-determination, which the UN Charter from the time it was formed back in 1945 was designed to address, to uphold the rights of peoples in recognition that world conflicts, disagreements and inequality was based upon the oppression of peoples by dominant societies and um, nation states. We've seen a lot of changes where it's gone from um, less than 50 members of the United Nations to now I think it's 194, maybe more. So there's been a lot of decolonization. There's been a lot of recognition of um, uh, small states and uh, other groups that have generally been dominated through imperialism uh, has occurred. But it, Indigenous peoples got lost in that process, particularly um, uh, in the decolonization process that's in the UN Charter. Um, and, um, and then the Trusteeship Council proposal and so on, because Indigenous peoples were not recognised as a peoples and as a population, they were generally regarded as being hidden and buried deep within the nation states, when in fact all the evidence has had shows that Indigenous peoples continue to survive and operate um, with a, a autonomy in relation to their territories and in relation to their. Um, lifestyles and values and particularly the aspirations for the future generations and not least with now the attention on climate change indigenous peoples have a very prominent um, status in the custodianship of the global environment natural environment because the, it's the territories of indigenous peoples that are pristine and the developments, the loss of biodiversity, uh, the damage to the uh, environment has occurred in the areas where um, Indigenous peoples' uh, territories haven't extended. So, but unfortunately, in the discussions at the United Nations on climate change, Indigenous peoples are essentially forced outside the room into the positions of being protesters or uh, complainants or claimants uh, in the process instead of uh, people involved in making the decisions and making solutions for um, the promotion, for the preservation of uh, the biodiversity and uh, global natural resources. So um, I'm very interested in this process that is now, I think, it's a coming together because we have for a number of years now made the approaches through the proper channels, through formalities to have enhanced participation in the General Assembly and the General Assembly is a very important assembly 
Um, but we we have found um, in in the successful campaigns we've had that when it comes to the General Assembly, the doors are closed to our involvement and to our, our voice. And there's no real def defense or justification that states can provide as to why those doors are closed, except to say, we are the states um, and that only states uh, should have a say. So they're essentially uh, not obeying, not living up to their obligations as members of the United Nations to defend the rights of peoples. They should be saying we are peoples. We are represented as peoples. And of course, Indigenous peoples have a role to play. The proposals that have been put forward have not been to push our way onto the floor and demand the microphone, but rather to say on the matters that do concern Indigenous peoples and will deal with the interests and futures of Indigenous peoples, the Indigenous people's voice should be heard. And I just do another reminder, which is in the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, um, following the COBO report, which had gone on for a number of years and produced quite a lot of information and recommendations about who are the Indigenous peoples of the world, what is the status of Indigenous peoples and so on. So in response to that report, uh, the Declaration has in its preambular statement that we, that is the states, recognise that the issues and interests of Indigenous peoples are a matter of international concern for the United Nations. So regardless of belief that still is held by nation states, that they are the dominant society and that Indigenous peoples are still subservient, um, even though we're trying to get self-determination, that's preambular statement. and I. I suggest that you take the effort to go and look through the preamble because the preamble is basically the foundation. It's basically those things upon which the proactive articles are based on, on human rights. Are the, these are the givens. These are the building blocks. On it. And it has that building block to say the rights and interests of Indigenous peoples are a matter of international concern. Well, as both Kenneth and I have been saying to you, if it's a matter of international concern, then there really is no argument as to why Indigenous peoples should not have a way to participate at all levels, including the General Assembly. And I'll add even there the Third Committee, because there are problems in the Third Committee, um, which does prepare, discuss, discuss and draft the resolutions for the General Assembly, mostly with the intention of having consensus support. So it's basically... Uh, those resolutions are really saying these are the bottom line of what should be happening, not the ceiling, but the floor of what should be happening. So the third committee itself and probably uh, other committees can get brought into this argument um, is just as important, which is the, the workshop of where General Assembly business is carried out um, prior to uh, adoption of resolutions in the, in the General Assembly. Um, I have followed the work that's been going on about enhanced participation, particularly when I was in New York uh, working on the preparation of the World Conference of Indigenous Peoples. I participated as much as I could in the other meetings that were happening. Um, I've worked and talked closely with Claire Charters, who's done a marvellous job uh, in, the, in, uh, in that discussion and preparing documentation and 
been an intermediary between Indigenous peoples in the states at Clare Charters, Professor Clare Charters from uh, the Maori community um, uh, has done such wonderful work with keeping this issue on the table. It hasn't been a, allowed to be removed from the table and put away, but it's still there. But some progress has to be made. And um, hopefully with this effort that I see developing now to see progress being made, uh, we, we should be able to take it another level and we should be able to make some inroads on that whole thing. So I'm, I'm very pleased to um, put aside my focus on domestic issues back here in Australia of getting rights of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people recognised in law to again take up um, the sort of campaigning that's necessary at the international level to achieve those things that have been already established in the ALTA document um, for improvement in the structures, for higher appointments in the bureaucracy of uh, Indigenous persons or, or persons coming from the delegations of Indigenous peoples in there and also the enhanced participation at all levels of the United Nations. Um, fortunately, we haven't yet pushed for a veto power in the Security Council, but um, it's interesting to see in the current climate the fact that there's suggestions that the Security Council should take, sorry, the General Assembly should take dominance over the United Nations and not allow the Security Council to be um, used by major powers as a way of controlling uh, global governance and global, global interests in that. Um, finally, before I just finish up this presentation, I'm sorry to have taken too long, but um, I do want to say that we have a wonderful new development here in Australia. We've just had elections and change of, from a conservative government to a government that is swearing its support for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of Australia and for Indigenous peoples of the world. And our Minister for Foreign Affairs recently at the General Assembly um, made that quite clear in the statement to the General Assembly, how Australia wants to play now very much a proactive role in promoting and protecting rights of Indigenous peoples around the world. And in confirmation of that, they uh, are now seeking um, to establish a, a, a diplomat for First Nations. So a diplomat that will deal at the global level on the issues of Indigenous peoples, um, basically representing the standards for Indigenous peoples that has been adopted at the international level and so on. I see that as being a very useful instrument uh, to be uh, developed there. Of course, I think the primacy always rests with Indigenous peoples themselves and not states representing or acting uh, without regard for Indigenous peoples, but I think that this effort by the Australian government should be a great benefit, uh, in, including they have already expressed support for this issue of enhanced participation and will be part of the argument coming forward from uh, Indigenous peoples to, to see uh, the important changes. So I'm very pleased that that's happening. I actually am in Canberra at the moment, the capital of Australia, um, which was a 14 hour drive for me to be here uh, to meet with uh, foreign affairs uh, staff today to talk about these sorts of uh, uh, plans and intentions. And we've agreed to have a continued discourse and to try and get the best arrangements 
through this proposal by the government to appoint uh, a diplomat on, for First Nations. So thank you very much. And, uh, again, I'm pleased to be able to uh, participate in, in these gatherings. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Mr. Les, for sharing with this very important um, history, starting from the ALTA document on to, uh, to the World Conference. Uh, it's really nice to know that um, Australia is uh, a strong supporter of the Indigenous uh, peoples in terms of the enhanced participation. And uh, I would also want to mention that uh, in, um, for the participants to take note of the documents that agreements or resolutions that you mentioned uh, where uh, it's highlighted the importance of enhanced participation uh, with the UN. Um, I also see Ghazali, uh, sorry for the background noise. Uh, I also see Ghazali has shared um, some links in the chat, please um, to understand better uh, the process, please go to the links, read about the enhanced participation process, as well as the, the documents supporting um, the process. And uh, now I would like to move to our next uh, speaker. Um, our final presenter is Mr. Ghazali O'Hara. Uh, Ghazali is the Indigenous Coordinating Body member from the Pacific region. And he is also the executive secretary of the Indigenous uh, Coordinating Body. He will take you through the enhanced participation uh, journey since the World Conference and the steps the United Nations and Indigenous peoples have taken so far. So it's a pleasure for me to welcome Mr. Ghazali. Thank you so much, uh, Aminatu, for, um, um, for the introduction and also uh, Kenneth and as well as Les for the giving the very comprehensive background information in terms of the the yeah the lead up the the why behind the enhanced participation process uh, and the yeah the 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 the, the Skahe journey um, has uh, has sparked many um, yeah many plates and many uh, uh, missions of these peoples at the at the international level. Um, I'll, I'll attempt to, uh, to describe to you the, the journey of uh, the NS participation process um, in terms of the, uh, um, yeah, the, the steps that have been taken. Uh, Les just now mentioned he had a four, 14 hour drive uh, to Canberra. Like um, if I explain to you the whole thing, uh, the, the, the steps that led up to the point where we are, then I would talk nonstop for 14 hours and then some. Um, but I'll try to keep it uh, brief um, to give you the highlights of the, the steps that have been taken um, at the UN level uh, when it comes to the participation process. So that you're, so that we're all on the same page, um, we heard we heard, heard Les and kind of talk about the NS participation process um, and, to, and status of Indigenous peoples. Um, as many, if not most of you know, that there's only one participatory status or category that exists and that and these people can use right now, uh, which is generally the non-governmental as that of non-governmental organizations. Um, however, under the, uh, the expert mechanism on the rights of indigenous peoples and the UN Permanent Forum, uh, there's this modality of uh, indigenous peoples organizations that, um, that indigenous peoples can use. However, in most cases, it's that of an NGO. 
uh, which does not ac accurately reflect the status of indigenous peoples as, as self-governing peoples. Um, so, for example, like, like Kenneth talked about, if the Haudenosaunee Descahe wants to address the United Nations in its capacity as a leader of a sovereign and self-determined peoples, this, this guy would have to become a delegate of a non-governmental organization. Um, and that would be, uh, yeah, unjustified. It's not, not in line with self-determination. And because in these people have so many perspectives and, and, and that have developed since time memorial, um, are, yeah, we can bring uh, unique voices to peace and other global issues. The, so that's in terms of status. The other problem is, is that most, the, most times the voices of indigenous peoples remain unheard because we can only speak on quote unquote indigenous issues. So when, whenever there's a process that has the word indigenous in it, then we can participate. However, the, the current opportunities um, uh, where we can speak in do not, do not, yeah, are not adequate for indigenous peoples wanting to participate in, in global issues and wanting to contribute to the to, to global issues. Um, so when we talk about NS participation process and the steps taken, they're all based on one thing and and um, and, and less talked about it uh, before is the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, that, is, that, that, that is our starting point, that is a minimum standard. So building on the UN Declaration and the studies that are proposed from Indigenous Peoples, for example, the 2014 World Commerce Outcome Document, definitely the Alta Outcome Document, um, yeah, the UN started to commit to consider ways to enable the participation of Indigenous peoples representatives and in institutions. So we're mostly talking about Indigenous peoples representative institutions like governments, parliaments, assemblies, councils. Those are the institutions that, that, that we're talking about and at the NS participation process. So when in 2015, I'll take you down memory lane a little bit, uh, when 2015, in May 2015, the UN Secretary General, he outlined that consideration to be addressed for NSA participation, for NSA the participation of Indigenous peoples. Um, and then in December 2015, the General Assembly requested the President of the, the President of the General Assembly to conduct consultations on possible measures uh, necessary, like procedural and institutional uh, steps, um, yeah, to, to address uh, NASA participation, and it was all part of this this this, uh, this world conference outcome document. So, and then we we skip a couple of years, a uh, couple of years, couple of months actually. In February 2016, then when the president of the General Assembly appointed four advisors uh, to assist him in carrying out consultations on on the topic of NASA participation. When it comes to advisors, uh, it is, is very important that, that it is in line with Article 18 of the Declaration right to participate in decision-making processes, um, which we've also um, affirmed, for example, when we had an Indigenous co-facilitator in to um, conduct consultations on the modalities of the World Conference. There was, the, there was a state co-facilitator, um, this is asking, his Excellency Luis Afonso um, de Alba and um, uh, Mr. John Henriksen from the Sami people. And they were con conducting uh, consultations on behalf of the President of the General Assembly uh, with member states as well as indigenous peoples. So this is, this is a modality that we, uh, that we 
keep using to make ensure that indigenous peoples are continuously being consulted in, in matters that affect them, which includes, for example, the NS participation process. Um, Co-facilitators back then, um, and starting with Les as an advisor, we started to see advisors, and that role uh, come up. So we had uh, four advisors, uh, two state from, one from Finland and one from Ghana, and like Les said, um, two indigenous, Dr. Claire Charters um, from, the, from Aotearoa, and Professor James Anaya, who many indigenous peoples know. Um, so with the support of the, the, these four advisors, he conducted one ele electronic consultation and three face-to-face -face consultations with the Indian peoples and member states. And they provided a compilation of views in mid-July, 2016. And then in September, 2016, the, the PGA reappointed these four advisors again, because um, he had a new president of general assembly uh, to lead, continue the, the, the consultations of improving Indian peoples participation at the UN. Now, um, 2016, 2017, that, that's, um, that's a, a process that, uh, that um, indigenous peoples um, saw the NS participation process mainly at the general assembly level. Um, so when indigenous peoples met in Thailand, so there's a dialogue meeting amongst indigenous peoples to reassess and to consolidate, um, like how are we going to, look at the NS participation process from this point onwards. There were some developments at the, at the General Assembly level. There was a lot of pushback at the General Assembly level. And how are we going, as Indigenous peoples, going to, to approach that? Um, so the, the dialogue meeting, uh, the Bangkok dialogue meeting had an outcome document, which is one of the links that you, that you see below in the chat. Um, it's attached to it under resources. You can read uh, up on the, on the on the, the outcome document of the Bangkok, uh, Bangkok meeting. And then um, the, 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 they started to continue the, 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 the consultations on the, the resolution and a textual resolution. And there were consultations held in the margins of the permit form from 2017-2016 and into 2017. And then in, in 2017, the, the, United, the General Assembly adopted a resolution on enhancing and asset participation and welcoming discussions on participation at the Perm Forum. The expert mechanism started to talk about NS participation as well, and a special rapporteur um, um, started to also discuss uh, the NS participation. And it further requested the Secretary General to report by the end of this, uh, that assembly session on achievements, analysis, and recommendations on ways to enable uh, the participation of Indigenous peoples. Then What's what we what we saw that um, one of the mandates of the president of General Assembly was to conduct three informal interactive hearings, um, starting in 2018. So the idea was to have one in 2018, one in 2019, and one in 2020. And these hearings were requested by the General Assembly resolution, and it was open. They were open to these participations. Um, participants accredited to the, the, the sessions of the print forum, because to, earn, to ensure that the broadest participation possible of indigenous peoples, the, these inter interactive hearings were mostly held in the margins of the, the print forum, which was which is held in New York. So that was the first um, the hearing was, was held in 2018. 
And then you started to see that, that uh, the Human Rights Council, so you had the General Assembly level, and then you see also the Human Rights Council level start to discuss as well the, the, the NS participation. For example, during the 11th session of the MRIP, the Expert Mechanism on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in 2018, started to propose to the Human Rights Council to make further efforts to enhance the participation of Indigenous Peoples representatives and their institutions. Um, again, in accordance with the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So that was in July 2018. Um, usually in September of the same year, um, the Human Rights Council starts to consider the annual resolution on human rights and indigenous peoples and the uh, reports of the African mechanism. Um, so in September of the same year, the Human Rights Council decided to hold a half-day intersessional dialogue on enhanced participation. Um, the irony is, and this is what, 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 kind of, what kind of talked about, it would, would have been held in the margins of the expert mechanism, that would happen in the next year, in 2019. Um, the session that, that was the, the dialogue that was organized by the Human Rights Council was a Human Rights Council meeting, which has uh, Human Rights Council participatory modalities. So the only way you can participate with the Human Rights, uh, at the Human Rights Council is as an NGO, is that you have an NGO as with ECOSOC status. So that, that really does not uh, um, help the NS participation process because you did see um, the, the MREP had a, um, a closed session and, then, and during that session, the Human Rights Council started to have its, this roundtable discussion, uh, but was only open to states and NGOs uh, that, are, uh, that have ECOSOC status. So that's why, why um, what, what one kind of talked about, like this guy still couldn't talk in his own capacity. That was in that meeting. The, at the, that was at the, at the, the Geneva level at the, at the Human Rights Council. And 2019 as well, the, the president of General Assembly, this is back in New York, uh, connected the, the second of the three um, uh, interactive hearings. And then there was, they did, you saw, you saw the two processes start, started moving forward, one at the General Assembly level and one at the Human Rights Council level. And then what you, what you did see is that so furthering the, the, the process in, in, at the Human Rights Council, we start to have, uh, have another dialogue on uh, intersessional roundtable on, on NS participation. You did see, however, that it wasn't necessarily a negotiation process. It was from event to event to event at the Human Rights Council level uh, to, to continue the discussion on, on enhanced participation. So there wasn't really a, uh, a negotiation process or a substantial process ongoing. Um, and then, the, uh, and then um, in 2020, um, another meeting was held uh, like a, from, for, uh, organized by indigenous peoples. So the first meeting was held in Bangkok. The second meeting was held in Quito, Ecuador. And at that meeting, not only indigenous peoples, but also states were invited uh, to discuss how to move forward with enhanced participation process. And in that same meeting, the indigenous coordinating body was, was, was established to ensure that, that, that indigenous peoples started to uh, consolidate and started to participate in the enhanced participation process. Obviously COVID happened um, and um, 
in May 2021, um, the president of General Assembly wanted to hold a, another uh, it, it's a session of the interactive hearings. But um, because the permanent forum was a hype, was closed or hybrid, either way, uh, it wouldn't could not ensure the body's participation possible of of the uh, of indigenous peoples. So the first thing that this coordinating body did was to ask for the postponement of that meeting um, because there was no way that indigenous peoples could could physically attend that uh, those uh, that meeting. And for, and you see, you heard it many times before. Nothing about us without us. So you can't have a consultation on NS participation without broad representation of indigenous peoples. So that was uh, in 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 uh, in in 2020 and 21. The again the the, the uh, president general assembly wanted to to host the third round um, hearing ag again. And still, there was um, and the the coordinating body said, still, even though it is hybrid, does it has not the possibility for indigenous peoples to really participate meaningfully and effectively in the process. So we again request for postponement. Um, so and, and and it's likely that the last hearing uh, that that needs to be done by the president of general assembly will be held in at the permanent forum next year. So we're, we're coming to the to where we are at right now. Um, kind of talked about um, this intersectional roundtable that he that he that he participated in, in 2021, and that's actually one of the recommendations was to a four day expert workshop on enhanced participation. And um, now that you, you so now you see there's uh, there's uh, a, a workshop will that will be held from November 21st until 24th at the United Nations in Geneva on announcing the participation of indigenous peoples at the Human Rights Council. Um, and, that, and there are four major topics, uh, venues of participation, uh, modalities of participation, uh, the selection criteria and selection mechanism that will be discussed. The workshop itself is not necessarily a negotiation session as in terms of substance and but it is a kickoff to, uh, to the process itself uh, to, to establish a negotiation process that can eventually lead to a, um, uh, a consultation process about the details of these four topics I just mentioned, um, resulting in a, in a, in a standalone resolution, um, hopefully by at the anniversary of the Descahe uh, in 2024 in, in September. That's what we're aiming for. So, uh, this workshop is key, and you're all participating in 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 this in this dialogue. Um, also, hoping that we can inform you in a way so that you can uh, participate meaningfully in the workshop, and that you can come prepared to the workshop. There's a deadline for submissions, that which is October 31st, and so we have created a sequence of 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 meetings of these dialogues, five meetings in total. So one introductory and four uh, four meetings. One will dedicated of each agenda item, so that you have enough knowledge and value and capacity to um, to submit um, yeah your views um, before October thirty first. So that is uh, in short the 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 roadmap or the the steps taken um, at the of the enhanced participation process um, so far. That's it. That's the end of the episode. For more content, you should do two things. Uh, one, subscribe to the podcast. 
and two, go to linktree slash gomoluku. So that's linktr.ee slash gomoluku for more content and conversations. Um, I would really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I think yeah, that's it. Um, enjoy the rest of your day.